0: evening and welcome to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I'm Ian Tiny Morris and I'm Simon Sandspring. Welcome to a show in daylight.
1: How good is this?
0: <laughs> yes, a show in daylight. We are indeed in daylight.
1: Rather than Long me way looking, at last. Well indeed, rather than me looking murky and ominous with the... Uh, backlit, So uh, the sun is still streaming in. It's been all rather spring like today. Full of mothering Sunday. You have a good one?
0: Uh, yes. I- indeed. Um a um strangely organised um Mothering Sunday for me, which is which is not quite normal. Um I must admit. That um yeah. My well you know that my sister and i did our <laughs> did our duties with regards to our mother <laughs> it, Indeed. because oh, she, she left you you and your two boys to arrange some cookery
1: yes yes no we were we were we were uh in the uh in the kitchen today it was a it was a roast sirloin of uh, roast loin of panaged pork uh, roasted new potatoes with red onion and garlic, uh, rainbow carrots which we honeyed, and then there was some buttered asparagus and purple stem broccoli, and then my youngest knocked together hazelnut warm chocolate brownie with clotted cream ice cream. So yeah, we were pretty epic today. I have to say, even if I say so myself.
0: Even if you say so yourself, yeah. that does indeed, uh, indeed sound uh, sound great. It sounds very yummy. Yep. Yep. Um,
1: no fingers like, were lost in the making thereof. No fights. Well, that's good. So, yeah, yeah. We'll take no, that. No
0: fingers.
1: No fingers and no tempers. No, no, there. No, no tantrums. No nothing. No, no. It was. Uh, it was all. It was all very balanced. And uh, and um, yeah. No, all good. So a bit of a continuation from last week, because we got we got involved, didn't we, in the machinations of the. Uh, the, the wheels of local politics and uh, ran out of time. And so we've got a bit of local and then, you know, a bit of analysis of the lovable scamp that is Rishi Sunak and his spring statement.
0: Indeed, yes, it, it's a, it's an episode kind of, a, of of two halves. So yeah, we didn't quite fit it all into um, May the 5th be with you last week. Uh, so there were two elements of the last full council meeting uh, before uh before basically the the council um goes into election mode um so the local elections in in may of course um so the two subjects that we didn't cover last week that we wanted to were uh were motion fifteen f um uh, about the constitutional review um and fifteen g um about the local plan um now the first was asking essentially for um for basically the um, the council to uh, commit to reviewing its constitution um and in that sense basically its way of doing business hmm. so how it deals with things the sorts of rules that are, that are used um, to conduct business so that everybody knows and there was a bit of some of the there was some themes to this that we picked up in some of the commentary on the um, in in the other items actually that we looked at in last week's show uh, where it was quite kind of clear that there were um, there were committees or working groups that some people didn't didn't realize actually existed or indeed actually officers um, that were advising councillors didn't realise existed um, and so therefore obviously didn't seem that current um, a- and this kind of also really speaks to that. So um, so this is a um, so this was a, um, a a motion that was uh, put forward uh, by the um, by the Conservative group um, and it was proposed um, by I'm sorry I just my screen has just decided to freeze which is really really useful. So um, so yeah, it was it was an interesting one. So on the face of it, it might sound like not exactly the sexiest subject in the world. It could um, be considered a touch dry, but let's see whether we can
1: sprinkle yeah. some spice onto it.
0: Let's let's see if we if we can um, find something sexy about it. So uh, so yes, it was proposed by Councillor Scott Peter Harris and seconded by uh, Councillor Matthew Atkins. Um, yeah, so uh, essentially um, what it was calling for. Um was uh, basically a review of how the council does its business um and kind of how it does. Now, I must admit, when I first saw the subject title, I thought, oh, this is going to be kind of something about getting into the weeds of whether we have um, all-out elections or whether we whether we elect in thirds like we currently do. So every um, three out of every four years, there's there's a councillor up for election in each ward, um, as opposed to all three of them being up for election at the same time. That's not actually what this is about. This is just about actually the day-to-day way that meetings are run and what the expectations are. Um, so, um, yeah, so uh, really, um, so Scott Peter Harris was saying really that the motion speaks to itself, um, that the, Constitution sits out how it operates um, and that they therefore are requesting that the council has a constitution working group um, set up that reports into the Governance, ordinance, and Standards Committee, uh, while also reporting back to the full council in May 2023. So uh, Councillor Scott Peter Harris makes the case that times have changed. The constitution doesn't reflect, for example, how the council does business or how standing orders are used um, yep. or include anything about digital meetings. Um, it, so
1: yeah and it is fascinating isn't it you know when we, we we look at this through the lens of the demands that we have on our counsellors um you know and the meetings that we ask them to attend and you know most you know most organizations now you know uh, wherever possible you know invite people to attend virtually um you know and again it's that element where you know i guess if, if we look at you know we want more working councillors you know the, the difference between can I take a couple of hours off to to attend a meeting virtually or it can you know work flexibly but if that also involves the half an hour drive down into the centre and to park and you know when we're talking about you know being greener um, you know or the extra hour if you want to go by public transport it does seem mad that we're still we're still dragging people into rooms.
0: Yeah, it it does seem strange. I mean, in, in recent years, yes, with COVID and everything, everybody's got used to being able to deal with digital meetings. Um, the power to continue having um, certain meetings held digitally was something that um, wasn't pursued or continued by the government. Um, So it was a national policy that kind of sets whether whether local councils had the ability uh, to continue uh, working that way. Some things uh, still are done virtually. uh, But when you think of uh, things like full council meetings, um, when you think of if you're, yeah, if you're someone that that's working during the day that doesn't actually uh, work within the city, um, for example, then, you know, your chance of you know sadly you're going to miss half of the nine hour marathon that is the full council meeting and um while that might not actually be a a loss if the idea of having someone elected to council is that they can represent you and hear debates and contribute to them then not being able to be there because we're not you know the, the business of the council doesn't operate in the 21st century seems a bit luddite
1: well, it does, and I think the other thing, and and what many people won't realise, because let's face it, very few people I think ever go and read the the sort of the 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 full council agenda and the. Uh, but even just reading it, it, it it reads like thirty years ago. You know, it's, it's, we have to vote to say that there's a set of minutes or a true record of the last arrangement. You know, it does feel very the whole sort of framework of how it works has that sort of arcane feel to it, you know, and it, it the, does. The, um, yeah.
0: And, and just, just even something simple, like how votes are cast. Yeah. Um, how recorded votes are cast. That's literally a roll call of someone of the, you know, of, of, uh, basically a council officer actually reading out the name of each councillor in turn, um, just trying to, um, and taking their names for whether they are a for, against, or abstain um, um, for a particular motion. But there's also kind of bits about, you have a vote, about whether you're going to have a vote. Um, yeah. There are times about whether, you know, whether, it, so it's, so it, yeah, sometimes it just kind of doesn't really kind of shape up. Sometimes it seems that there's a, there's a lot of kind of wasted time and it just, and, and as, and as, um, as, as Councillor Scott Peter Harris himself said, um, actually current practice, doesn't reflect what's actually happening in the council. And I think it was um, um, yeah, Councillor Atkins that had actually said, that, you know, they need to work on how the recorded vote is done, how budgetary amendment works. So there was an yeah. issue a um, couple of months ago about the budget. There was a late minute um, amendment to the budget put forward um, by um, uh, by Councillor Hugh Mason and seconded by, um, by uh, Councillor Graham Heaney. And um, But it had to be an amendment to an existing budget, to a budget that had been brought forward by the administration. But the administration or the leader of the council couldn't put forward that amendment because they'd already spoken uh, and therefore can't put in an amendment against their own thing. But it it seemed that that kind of blindsided uh, people a little bit. And there was a conversation, a reference back to um, other councils, for example, like on the Isle of Wight. There's a a deadline by which um, amendments have to be submitted um, to a budget. Yep. and therefore you can't get any last minute decisions whether that's a pro a good thing or a bad thing you know if you're going to reach an agreement quite often these things happen they come down to the wire the question is where is the wire um so yeah, yeah it was Nope, oh, sorry
1: well i think you know again it's just as you know we 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 often remark about how long these bloody meetings are but if you've got to read out 42 individual names and get you know agree abstain and be noting that down you know and i think this time there were what eight nine ten motions that's half Um, an hour of your life you're never getting
0: back well to be fair that doesn't always happen so it's only when someone asks for a recorded vote that the, the vote is recorded that way right so when a vote is needed um it can either so a member can ask for it to be a recorded vote so that literally has to go through the roll call Yep, um, And then literally um, the, the the officer will say, right, those in favor and basically ask each of them. I think the mechanism they use is they ask each of them to stand up. And then as he then reads back their name to confirm that he's recorded their vote, they can sit down and then literally goes through them in groups and goes goes through the four. It's like a game against, of whack-a-mole, and then the abstention. So, uh, so in that kind of respect, in, in sense. But otherwise, sometimes motions go through unanimously because no one's called called for a yep. recorded vote, and everybody said no. Or if it's not unanimous, then actually there's you know there's effectively kind of like a show of hands or a kind of a, a standing. But it isn't it isn't done as the roll call. So, but again, either way, those things take time. Yep. Um, and there are there are much simpler ways to record votes um and to record them uh, i'm not being funny to record them instantly yeah. um you know if if people watching um i don't know watching the voice or whatever can can vote for or you know i'm trying to think of these popular tv things but, yeah you know, if, if you yeah. can do all of that then you know it's not beyond the wit of wit of humanity is it to be able to actually find a way to uh, to do those things um zoom
1: has a standard poll function
0: it it does yes um <laughs> but the council moved off of using zoom and went to teams because of concerns um about zoom's security um Although those seem to stem from someone in the government actually posting the link to the Zoom meeting that they were sharing on social media that they were going to, which <laughs> is not really a grand idea. Um, but um, yeah, no, no amount of um, no amount of sophisticated security on your computer will um, will protect you from a user that's an idiot. Um, right. So uh yeah I mean Councillor Atkins went on to say that um that you know that it cites no constitutional mechanism for example to ask questions of a member making a deputation for example at a planning uh, meeting so any council member has the has the power to be able to go to a planning meeting even if they're not on the planning committee and make a deputation at that meeting. Yeah. Um But he said that there was no mechanism by which to do that. What was very interesting was that Scott, in his closing remarks, pointed out that there is actually a standing order that allows you to do that. So it just just as an example demonstrates that are the standing orders so complicated and unwieldy that people don't read them and understand them? And therefore, don't know what powers um, there yep. are there and what regulations to run by. Well, they just don't follow them, and either way, it means it's not working. Yep. Um, so, um, but it was quite interesting what um, what Councillor uh, Graham Heaney um, stood up and said. So he's uh, from the Labour group uh, was that the uh, the constitution and standing orders were effectively kind of written from scratch uh, when the council moved to the cabinet model that it adopted in the nineties, I believe. Yep. Um, so. Um, he, he he called out that he that he felt that there's a a bit of a nonchalant attitude to the, towards the constitution from um, from the leader of the council, uh, but he also said that it's it's um, the basically the, the the rules are haven't been reviewed and it's not been made a priority. But there was a working group set up to to you know kind of to set that into I- into place, um, and, and he said that they'd set out a, a a constitution in the constitution a budget policy framework, but the council don't use it. And that's what's the point in rules that you don't having rules that you don't use or that don't reflect current practice?
1: Yeah, and that's the key, isn't it? You know, again, the defence of well, we wrote it bottom up in the nineties is, you know, again, much as it makes me feel dreadfully old, the nineties was twenty two years ago, at the
0: earliest um yes um yes. And, it, and it and the kind of the, the farcical nature or the pointing out of actually the demonstration of of the ineffectiveness was it was that um what was that um the leader pointed out that uh, the council leader pointed out that simon bosher is one of the people actually on the working group on the working party for the constitutional review so such a group actually exists but Simon Bosher who's the leader of the conservative group on the council uh, pointed out that he wasn't aware that he was still a member because as far as he concer- he was aware- he hasn't actually met but it just cites an example of how um, and he and he and he did a he he, he gave a really brilliant example of how a pr- at a previous amendment to the constitution and the standing orders um, two of the things that were being limited one was about one of the standing orders about challenging a, a um, basically making a point of order to challenge something that had just been said and the other one was about reducing the amount of time in debates that each councillor gets from six minutes to five minutes and the council had spent so long debating in opposition to the idea of you can only debate for five minutes instead of six minutes that they proved the point of why that was necessary by not getting to remember that actually they were moving a standing order about point of order and then accepted the amendments to the standing orders and then at the next council meeting when someone tried to use the standing order that says uh, actually as a point of order effectively what you've just said isn't correct the Lord Mayor who chairs the meeting had to point out where well, that standing order no longer exists because last, last month we voted to get rid of it. Oh, so gosh. if any that's just a yeah, beautiful yeah. example of there are these rules, but it seems that you all don't understand what they are, and they're written in such a way that they're legalese <coughs> and basically they're not they're not written for basically for people to really kind of understand it in plain English. Um and, and several you know, several of the councillors um led by um Rob New was were saying that you know it's it it needs to be given time and it needs to be given priority. Um But he also pointed out the inconsistency that uh, so the monitoring officer who seems to be someone that the councillors can uh, speak to if they've got concerns about um uh basically the service that they're receiving from particular officers um that that officer needs to be independent because how can a councillor report a concern about how a particular officer or director has conducted themselves or has responded to a request if that monitoring officer has to report to said person that's being yeah. reported, if you look at any form of um, grievance or disciplinary action, your appeal doesn't go to someone that reports to the person you're trying to raise a grievance about, does it? That's just nonsensical. So yeah, there's just don't. some. It it needs some common sense. It needs a shake up, um, and and it needs it it um yeah it needs to be done. Um, it was. Interestingly, um, asked for as a recorded vote. Yeah. Um, but in a departure to what they normally do, the council, the audio of the recorded vote wasn't carried on the live stream. Oh. So although it took place as a roll call, um, we didn't hear what it was. But oh. it passed without any votes against it anyway.
1: Yeah. And the only other thing I see there, though, Simon, is that, again... You know, this is something we need to do. It's an absolute mess. We'll report back in May of
0: 2023. Yes. Does it take us a year to do that?
1: that, Well, it's going to, because we don't have to report back to May 2023. So no one is going to turn up into September with the words,
0: don't worry, kids. We rattled through that. Um, Here it is. And what happens if the people presenting it back don't get re-elected in May 2023? Well, we'll defer it for another year. <laughs> <laughs> then someone else has to propose it and second it. But it, it it just would you take a year to review that? I don't. I, 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 I don't, don't know that that's something you'd want to review at the. I mean, I can see from one perspective because at the May is effectively the start of the council year in the sense of that's yeah. when the new admin, you know, the new administration is done. So in that respect maybe that's a good thing but on the other hand does it take you that long to come to a conclusion and, and give it, a report i don't i don't think it does but, well, i think it well, can well. if
1: you want to give it that long you know as you know <laughs> you know most deadlines are you know you start working on a lot of them the month before they are due so yeah that I'll that one <laughs> well at least um at least yeah month week uh, so that one has uh that one's gone through and then uh what was the final uh leg of the, the council that we had to cover
0: so the f- so the final leg was a motion about the local plan so the local plan is uh, basically something the council have to submit to the government in order to say um that they're going to or planning to meet the housing targets that are set by lo- uh, by national government so national government for example yep. um i might not be precise with the figures but national government are requiring um the council to um is it f- 15,000... Yeah, close to 18, 000. I think. In fact, it, there is... Over an... the next 15 years or something? Yep, 18, there is... what, no, sorry, yeah. 17,700 over the next 15 years. Yeah. So, there is a point by which if we don't make the submission in time, the the government basically said, no, you haven't got a report, stuff it. We'll, we'll make the decisions instead. Um, and there's also a point by which the data set that's being used uh, to being called on in the report has to be within a certain length it has to be within 15 years old which i mean still seems quite a long kind of um mm. a, a long range of data set to call on but but nonetheless um that's the thing but um, but councillor Ryan Brent who proposes this motion helpfully read the motion out oh um so let's hear it in his own words um and then some interventions uh, from other councillors um who i will um for the benefit of listeners i will say who they are uh, as we go along, so are we. Are we ready for Councillor Brent? Let's let's rock.
2: This council condemns the Liberal Democrat administration's mismanagement of the local plan, and notes that the effect of such sustained mismanagement, in a financial and strategic sense in pushing back the local plan timetable, which was only done at the most recent Cabinet meeting on the 8th of March 2022, has clear ramifications in terms of our reputation as a city and service delivery. And further, that upon any objective basis, such behaviour and omission on the part of the administration is reprehensible. I just think it's really important that those words were said aloud because I, I think they're inarguable. Um, I mean, if we look at how the local plan timetable has been moved. um, So in August 2020, we were going to submit the plan to the Secretary of State in autumn 2021. I understand and I emphasize with the pandemic and the rationale as to why some of the deadlines have moved. uh, I've got the same table from July 2021. So the submission is now spring 2022. Uh, And then the most recent in the March, just gone. We are now submitting the plan in spring 2023. So I I think for me, it will end up to a point we'll keep pushing this further and further and further back. And we will lose control of our local plan. That is the risk. Um, We will then not have the decision capability
3: that (coughs) we should have. Though the process has taken longer than anticipated cannot be denied. The delay has been occasioned by two main sets of causes. The first is the uncertainty created by central government by its proposals for changes in the planning principles and procedures. Over the last eighteen months we have had the planning for the future white paper, indications it is just indications of the substance of a new planning bill, which seems to be taken an inordinate time to appear, and then the proposals contained in the levelling up white paper. Not only have these created uncertainty as to whether our local plan will meet all of their requirements, but they have caused additional work and consequently additional time being required over the last year and a half. It is, however, essential that we produce a plan of which we can be confident that the government will find it to be acceptable. We do not wish to find ourselves in the position Haven't Borough and indeed almost a dozen other councils that I know of find themselves in having to consider withdrawing their local plan and starting the process all over again. Or at least make Members will recall that the regeneration team, which was set up in 2016, developed a comprehensive scheme for extending the Tipna Peninsula. Now, this was put out for consultation at Regulation 18 stage. And we had the following results. Forty-five percent of the respondents favored a scheme involving land reclamation. Thirty-two percent wanted development only on the existing land area. And 23 wanted no development at all, just, 23 percent wanted no development at all, just to maintain the area without development. This was complicated enough. The result was further complicated by an email petition from 8,995 petitioners, some of whom we believe actually did come from Portsmouth, objecting on ecological grounds to any development whatsoever of the Tipna Peninsula. And we certainly had to take that into consideration as well. This led to the Council last autumn requiring a detailed report and establishing a cross-party working group examining in some detail not just what would be best for Tipna itself, but the implications of each possible option for the other parts of the draft local plan. That the administration's management of the local plan process is careful, sound, prudent, and properly managed.
0: So um, so essentially we've got the we've got Councillor Ryan Brent there actually mm. reading his motion out and uh, uh, making his case and we've got some excerpts then from uh, councillor hugh mason um liberal democrat for uh, basically um responsible for planning uh, giving um hi- his response um so uh, just before we get into into this um scott Beta harris by the way follows um, in the comments has actually said that it will indeed take that long uh, to do the review so um forgive us for being impatient uh um, Councillor, that's um, if obviously it takes that long to do the review, then it takes that long to do the review. Um, oh, so we'll defer, we'll defer to his better in no. I don't think we will. I don't
1: think we will. I, I think. There's <laughs> okay. no, no, there's no no review of anything takes. Well, it takes 12 months if you let it. So, but and and look, I think it will take 12 months with the processes and the approach that councils take to doing things and i think there are parallels to what's just been read out you know there's yeah. an element of you've got to make a plan i'm good with that but the the interesting piece for me and and i actually spent you know i spent most of my career in planning not house planning but supply chain planning and the fact is that the variables and the parameters that you base your plan on change. And they will always change. And your plan will have to flex and adapt. So there's an element of, you know, uh, listening to that the, 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 that there. You know, if you say, well, well, you know, things look like they might be changing, so I'm going to wait till all the change is finished, and then we'll have a go in a year's time. Well, I'm going to bet my left leg to an acre of sweets that in a year's time there'll be more change, flopping about, which means that, you know, I just, I, mean, I know that that the word reprehensible was used there, but I'm I'm kind of in agreement. Got to grasp the nettle, haven't we?
0: Um, and um, uh, another councillor, um, councillor Jeanette Smith, uh, points out that it depends on the councillors doing the review and the politics of it. So it may not simply just be a case of, I guess, of um, there's this is the current state. This is the idea about what it should be. There are winners and losers to any particular change, I guess, to what you what alterations you make to the mechanisms yeah. of how the council wants. So unless you've got the ability to drive through change without consultation, which no one has... Then, um, then I guess that's that's perhaps the muddiness of it. But um, yeah, I must admit I hadn't hadn't considered actually the 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 political implications of it because you know, for example, previous things that would be the um, um, it used to be the case that the administration would decide which um, nominations would be put to full council.
3: (laughs) Um,
0: But um, but I'm happy to be corrected. Um, um, But I was it the was it one of the lib dem administrations that changed it so that all nominations submitted are put to council obviously up to a certain deadline um i'm i'm sure someone's about to tell me that oh, that's complete rubbish and it's actually something different but you know uh, you know that's just an example um that's just an example of there is politics actually involved in the machination of how the institution itself works
1: yes yes definitely definitely and um yeah yeah, no, I, I I do get it, but
0: um, um but yeah, with, with regards to the to the local plan, um, so several other councillors weigh in. Uh, with ca- um, councillor Hunt uh, from the Lib Dems, um, making again the point about um, having conservatives are having to start theirs from scratch, um, and making some sort of comment about um, Cosham councillors not wanting um 800 homes to be um to be built there, um. Councillor Brent responds, reminding him that Haven't isn't in Portsmouth and that Haven't Conservatives aren't Portsmouth Conservatives. Um, And uh, Councillor Atkins uh, from Conservatives uh, bemoans the lack of progress and why haven't the Lib Dem administration appealed to the government to reduce the target? Something constantly mentioned is that there is um, an ability to write to uh, write to the government and basically ask for the target to be considered. I'm not trying to answer it for them. I guess in order to evidence why that would be needed, you'd need to produce the plan, wouldn't you? I guess. You yeah. Can't really and like, say, yeah. excuse me, I need, I need, I need, um, I need more time for this homework, um, yeah, without yeah. saying, well, how much have you done? Um...
1: Yeah, it, it's almost like the, the one begats the other, doesn't it? You know, again, if you mm. do the plan and you, uh, and and I, this one's an interesting one because I know that we did a we did an episode on this a little while ago with Gerald Vernon Jackson, and um, you know, which we talked about the the the, the nearly eighteen thousand homes that we were trying to fit on on a into a cupboard that was already full. Um, so I, I think there is an element of you know, to an extent I'd have some sympathy with why this is proving difficult because, you know, ultimately you go, oh, Tipna West Um, we can knock down a couple of the um, yeah, a couple of the pubs that don't get used anymore and we'll put a block of eight flats on there and um, no, I've got nothing you know, so that ability to To get to 18,000, I think is, well, I think most people believe it's, you know, it's a ridiculous ask um, and there's no way we're going to get to it. But I guess it's that element of, you know, until you nail down what it is you can do and then go back to the government and say, you know, well, okay, here's what we can do. Can we reduce the target to X? You're not going to know.
0: No, exactly. You can't you can't kind of just say, no, we can't do it. You've got to be able to demonstrate robustly why, what you can deliver and what sorts of things you've you've tried to do. I mean, if you've if you've ever been in a situation where you're trying to report that a project isn't on track or the KPI you know, targets aren't achievable. Um, then you've got to demonstrate what you've done to try to mitigate against, against the challenges yeah. that you have faced and why you haven't been able to meet the target. You can't just say, yeah, I can't do it, Gov. That, yep. That's just just not going to work. So um, so th- there's a you know, there's there's a kind of an interesting thing there. But of course, there's the other thing that was mentioned earlier on in the in the council meeting. Um, and we covered that in the previous episode was the whole thing about the uh, about the effectiveness and efficiency of the planning department. Um, And that kind of being dealt with, you know, that kind of being driven by difficulty in in, um, gaining and retaining staff um, and basically just getting things done effectively because it seems to be quite an inefficient kind of process uh, that they have. But What's the point in planning to have, you know, 18,000 homes if no one ever actually gets planning permission to build any of the bloody things? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you are going to be somewhat stymied there. You're Um, always going to be behind, aren't you? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. It looks that way. I guess there is. And shall I ask a provocative question? Go on. Well, is there some merit? And I know, you know, Ryan was very clear that it would be damaging to our city if we were, you know, if we had it taken away from us. You know, there is a bit of me that says 17,700 new dwellings in Portsmouth is so ridiculous. Is there an element of just handing it over
0: to the government and saying, well, go on. The, well, the, the problem with that is, um is it the planning inspector? Or anyway, it's uh, basically um unelected bureaucrats in Brussels, not Brussels, sorry, in no. Bristol, different B. <laughs> Um, unelected bureaucrats in Bristol um, would then be making those decisions and they wouldn't be trying to preserve the green spaces in the city they wouldn't be trying to preserve employment areas in the city um, in order to do that so if you drive employment areas outside of the city that means that more people have to travel by car to get in and out of the city in order to get in order to get work get to work and back again um and obviously if we if we get rid of any of our precious green spaces as we've all found in the last couple of years they're they're desperately and um you know they're price they're priceless yeah um those green those green lungs that we actually have dotted around the city we're actually quite fortunate in in the number that, that we have but we certainly wouldn't kind of want them encroached on so um th- there was much kind of two and four two and forth about that um councillor bosher from the the conservative leader pointed out that the issue in caution was actually that the um it was the uh the land assembly um that were talking about reducing the number of um, homes that were being proposed they're not actually um something kind of driven by objections from the uh, the councillors the officers are kind of frustrated um by the situation that the um that the administration had tried to set up um, joint working groups because it's an issue that the city needs to face regardless of who the administration mm. is. Um, but that effectively that conversation um, took the form of, um, o- o- of that being led in the sense of, well, let's figure out what we're going to do in, um, let's figure out what we're going to do at Lake- Lakeside or at St. James's um, or yep. at Langston Campus and then figure out what we're going to do um, at Lennox Point when, as as Councillor Boche was pointing out, and what he was saying was that officers were saying, well no, actually you needed to do it the other way around. You needed to figure out of if you're going to put, are you going to put 3,000 or 2,000 or 1,000 or none at Lennox Point because unless yep. you know what that is everything else that you do elsewhere in the city is going to be fundamentally driven by whether you are able to get a large amount of this development in that location. Because if yeah, you can't, yeah. that requires an entirely different mindset to the scale and density of development elsewhere in the city.
1: Yeah and I guess that's that that's the uh, and again it's a bit of an abstract challenge isn't it because as you say you know if we hand it over to to the unelected bureaucrats in Bristol they'll you know they'll wallop all sorts of housing developments on on all sorts we'll of we be spaces. giving away control. We would be giving away control but ultimately you know that that may be the only way to get 18,000 dwellings into onto an island that's already full um so you know there, there there is a piece where you know it it does feel a little bit like you know there's a bit of dithering there um so how did the how did the vote go in the end
0: um so that one didn't pass oh. um, or did it hang on a second well, note. hang on let me check my notes sorry i've oh. gone to the um, so yes, no, it, d- it did not, um, it did not pass because, um, oh, where is the – Forgive me, sorry, that's all right. Talk amongst yourselves or, or yeah. see. um, yeah. so, um, no. yes, yeah, so, um, the local plan, um, it got 14 votes for, 21 against, and one abstention. Ah, um, so. Um, the old Lib
1: Lab alliance in full swing. Anything the Conservatives put up, we're fully
0: against. But you know that's not true, and I'm not going to list the examples of the opposite now. But there are plenty of times where that doesn't happen. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, I, no, well, yeah we'll, let, let's not let's not
2: yeah, well, play so with happened. the facts. Well, so.
0: Um, so um well well that's a different question isn't it, it so isn't. um yeah so at um so here we are at 6 minutes past 7 do we want to move on to the yeah on let's to the big fish of the week
1: uncle rishi's spring statement
2: mm-hmm.
1: well now to preface this i am not a Sunak fan really no as a fiscal conservative I think tax and spend is a McDonald thing. It's a labor thing. And if I'm honest up until now, all I've seen from the charismatic and lovely warm Rashid mm-hmm. is tax and spend. And that doesn't work for me as a method of government. And so I was awaiting his spring statement with some trepidation Um, but, um,
0: yeah,
1: first impressions.
0: Are you asking me or are you, I thought, um, I I didn't follow it live. Um, I was at work, but to me it was, it it was a nothing and something budget, not even a something and nothing budget. It's, Mm. it's not so much a give with one hand and take with the other, it's take with one hand and give. Um, and give with the other to me the bits that it does to help aren't enough. Um, the bits that it does to address um, the inequity in basically who's quite literally footing the bill in our cost of living crisis, um, he chose um, instead to um, not to uh, not to not to tax um, the the extraordinary um, wealth of um, gas and oil producers um, to be able to help support. Um, support the economy, or to support those uh, those in most need. Um, there's some, there's some piffering away. There was, uh, you know, a, de- a decrease in the in the um, in the basic rate of income tax from a, from twenty percent to a whopping nineteen percent. Doesn't come in till April next year. Um, is Year there after ele- general election that year, twenty twenty-four. Yeah. Yep. So is there a general election that year by any chance? Um, so uh, I. I think there's more that he could have done. When you think of the number of people, if you're reducing five uh, p a litre on fuel duty, um, as um, as former Lib Dem leader uh, Tim Farron um, opined on Twitter, brilliant. That's put the price of petrol down to what it was last Thursday. Um, yeah. So but that's, let, that's let, let's let's start unless with, you're yeah. if you're not a driver. So should we kind of go through some of the headlines? And yeah. Kind of I mean, let's start out? with let's start with things that we can agree on. The
1: five p cut in fuel duty. It is a is a nonsense yeah it 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 is literally makes no difference you're not a motorist um you know i i I, my work means that i have to travel across the country Um, i get driven and i can tell you that the variation in the cost of petrol depending on where you fill up is significant so on tuesday you know uh, petrol here in in and around caution was about 163 a litre on the m3 services we should have filled up before we went it was two pounds a litre so a 37p variance and even as we drove into basingstoke and on into reading 173 177 so the difference in terms of what you're paying that 5p it can just be mopped up by natural variance. So to to claim that 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 makes any difference, you know, I've got a reasonably big car. Um, It's, you know, 40, 50 liters, you know, so that's saving me £2.50 every time I fill up. Off of what effectively, depending on where you fill up, is a 75 to 90 pound tank. So, you know, for me, that that is literally
0: pointless um yeah um and um as you say i'm i'm not a car driver so it, it doesn't directly affect me obviously it, it drives the costs of things that i purchase uh, cuz most of them will have been transported by road yeah uh, but nonetheless um 5p out of the out of the duty um it's not re- it's not really enough to kind of get excited about um and actually um I'd have much rather seen him raising more tax by, a um, uh, basically by either a windfall tax or indeed uh, an increase um, to uh, to the taxes for um, that's um, I forget what it's called now, but it was actually something that we listed in our um, in our show that we did with um, with economics yep. lecturer Simon Foster, where it was I think it was the Green Party's policy, where it was about increasing their um increasing that um that percentage ta- that the percentage uh, charge that goes against the value of uh, a- essentially kind of um new drilling um that goes back up from 12% back to 35% that it was actually um it was reduced by um by uh ch- by um Osborne so it's you know there are and if cuz let's be honest at the end of the day um what what makes my head scratch a little bit is that the this is a party that talks about how much it how much better control it has over money, and how much it understands how business works and how much it understands how the market works. But the issue with gas price is supply and demand. Yeah, it's because there's a limited amount of supply and there's a huge amount of demand as other countries demand ever ever, ever more gas. So the way to get off of that merry go round. You can do some things in the medium and short term to try to isolate or mitigate the fluctuations in the international uh, gas market, but the way to get off of that merry ground is to get off of needing gas, and the same applies to oil. And and I think that's true, and I think that that's where that medium turn investment
1: comes. And you know, we we hmm. we touched on the green levy, and and you know, there, there there is an element of, you know, that's a percentage. So obviously, if your bill increases by you know it doubles the the amount that's going to the green levy doubles so i i kind of i'm a bit kind of mm, I, there's a bit of me furrows my brow at that i think we can agree that i that the i think the count the chancellor did miss an opportunity I, i'm not in favor of taxing business i don't think it's i don't think it's a particularly progressive way to to to, to generate growth. But I think when there's an extraordinary circumstance like there is at the moment, then not to not to effectively put place a levy on you know the the the, the fuel producers and the energy companies on the profits that they make um, I, I think is a I think is a missed opportunity.
0: Um yeah I think there's something that, I mean at the end of the day to fundamentally not be taxing oil producers um and using that money to directly fund or subsidize yeah the switch away from that in the same way that not be funny in the same way that you use the tax revenue from cigarettes to fund the nhs in part yep because um you 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 know you, ideally you'd want actually to um prevention would be better than cure but if there's a harm that's being caused, then there should be some form. You know, that's one of the things that you use taxation for, isn't oh. it, is to is to try to moderate behavior or at least to um, at least to um, gain revenue from things that are aren't essential um, that yep. um, that need to be done. And there's a lot more we could be doing to be investing away. Um, from from fossil fuels now a lot of those things aren't going to happen overnight so no. there are some questions about kind of medium-term stuff and how you solve yes. that but successive governments have bottled the question about whether to build nuclear plants have yeah. bottled the questions about whether to build enough um uh, enough green infrastructure so to get us back on topic sorry i've gone a bit off 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 yep. piece there um, one of the things that was interesting was about remo- was removing the VAT on um, low carbon technologies, so like solar yep. cells, solar panels, uh, and wind farms. That's good. I would have liked to have seen him go further. Uh, I'd actually like to have seen that to turn, rather than go from taxing 5% to, um, to, to, to going to zero, to actually make that a subsidy um, for those that need it to help. Um, yep. Because that's how I- you're going to drive the industry away from it. That's how you're going to help those with in fuel poverty. I,
1: I, well, And that's where I, that's where I start to, to bulk a little bit, Simon, because I think okay. there is an element of, I think you're right, but I think the, you know, the, the, in terms of subsidy with things like heat pumps, with things like solar, I, I don't think it helps those that are in fuel poverty. I, I think it, you know, I think it, it and I'm going to say this. I think it helps people who are comfortably middle class and earning decent money to make good and better decisions about the way in which they heat their home or they provide electricity. you know because there's a capital outlay to a heat pump and there's a capital outlay to solar panels, which let's face it, if you knew if you are close to being in fuel poverty, you know a subsidy of a thousand pounds towards a heat pump, isn't going to isn't help isn't
0: going you. to scratch as uh, no to be to be fair that that's why what I what I mean was that you target that rather than just outright subsidizing yeah. all of those developments you you target sure. those at the people that actually um are struggling to afford them because otherwise at the moment with the levies that are necessary to to change the uh, to change our infrastructure and to change our economy uh, to a zero carbon economy it's going to be the people with the least amount of money that can't afford yeah to um to to get those benefits to get into to key into those benefits so yeah I, I i completely agree with that um but let's have a look at some of the other headline stuff Oh, um, so
1: look i am st- I, I, and, and one which i i am really impressed with you know as you know it's been conservative policy to keep raising the personal tax threshold <laughs> brilliant, brilliant policy. liar brilliant policy <laughs> it has been it has been for the last 14 years, 10 years, at least. Um, Um, I I can't remember whose idea it was. Um, (laughs) History I can, yeah. So, look, (laughs) that that for me has been a really, uh, you know, for me as a fiscal conservative, the whole, the person that earns gets to keep more of the money that they earn. It sits really well with me. So, if I look at April and uh, the... Minimum wage going from 8.91 to 9.50, I'm happy with that. The you know I was uncom- Am I uncomfortable? I, I'm in two minds about the national insurance, the the, the 1.25 rise that's sort of hypothecated for the national health service and then for social care. But for me, when Rishi announced the rise in the national insurance threshold by £3,000, that for me is a game changer. I did, I did some sums just before we, we came on air. And until he did that, somebody who was earning £18,000 a year, you know, relatively modest, hardworking person, that they were going to be £8.70 a month worse off when that rise bit. And following Rishi's announcement, they'll be twenty-one pounds and something better off a month than they are today. Now, thirty pound a month might not sound a lot, but I think if you're on eighteen thousand pound a year, a twenty pound rise versus an eight pound, a nine pound cut, I think is, I think is significant.
0: Well, it's better than that. the, the interesting detail though to watch out for is that normally um the tax allowance um the income tax threshold and um the national insurance uh, threshold actually increases yes. uh, by inflation each year um but what what um what the chancellor has done is actually um leave them unchanged now until april 2026 so he's he's actually borrowing the increase that would normally happen and putting that front loading that to now yeah rather than actually allowing that to happen as inflation would take place anyway. So it depends what happens to inflation as to whether at the whether in a year's time that turns out to have been wiped out by actually the rise in inflation. I mean, inflation will
1: have an effect, won't it? But I mean, it, ultimately, it's a 30% rise. It's going from nine to 12,000. So, you know, there is an element of even with the worst um, kind of expectation of inflation hitting 8%, it's still... It's not a perfect solution, but I think this is where the challenge comes. In that there, you know, there are no perfect solutions when you're in a, when when you're in a, a kind of global economic situation, where, you know, that there, there are factors outside of your control. I mean, the only thing that I would say in terms of, and it, it, it's um thanks to Claire Wilcox on Portsmouth Politics that pointed this out, and it, it, you know, it it was a very conservative thing in that there were lots of there were lots of you know or or the focus was on on you know people who were earning people who were working and you know assisting them but if you look at people who are disabled and unable to work on benefits there was nothing in there other than the previously announced the 3.1 percent rise which again was inflation when it was announced but we know that inflation's double that at the moment so i think that there is definitely a there's an element to it which which does mean that that the poorest and most vulnerable in society have been a little bit left behind by those actions
0: um yeah and also these moves are all about um are all about income and spend Um, whereas um, if you're someone that's basically land banked millions of pounds worth of property that's possibly sitting vacant in several parts of the country or indeed in London, um, none of this is hitting you.
1: No, no. No, and I think that's where, but this is where I think if I look at Rishi's budget, there was an element of Uh, And, you know, I see this in forums in that I, I think he wanted to show him that there were lots of murmurings about, you know, he was not a Conservative Chancellor. You know, so I think the his final grand look, look, I'm a Conservative Chancellor, honestly, because I'm going to cut income tax by a penny in the pound in 2024. That that was purely a gesture for his his home fans um really
0: you don't say um yes but i do Um, say because i'm prepared to be no i'm being sarcastic in the sense of that was really obvious um but yeah it it, it is there's a there's a there's a degree to which he's playing to the home crowd i know that you you've often you've often spoken about you 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 would call yourself a a very fiscally um centered conservative and you consider you've kind of balked at some of the things that um, the Chancellor's had to do over the over the last couple of years. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I just... Th- there's a bit of... I think some of the statements from the government were about seeing actually where things are and maybe there'll be more in the autumn budget. Or whether... He's trying to basically see how things pan out in order to bribe us with our own money as we come up to the next general election, and he wouldn't be the first chancellor to do that, of course. So, yeah, there's a bit. I, 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 I don't think I was the. I, I don't think I'm the voter he was trying to convince. If I'm really honest, but nonetheless, I, I don't think he did anywhere near enough. There was lots that he could have done that wouldn't have wouldn't have hit working people. Um, that would have actually brought money back into uh, back into the government's coffers um, where it needs to be investing in the green transition it needs to be investing in helping the nhs and the economy uh, recover from covid um, and there are ways that he could have done that but those aren't choices that a conservative chancellor no, would make
1: no and 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 i think this is where you know as we've found ourselves in the 3 years we've been doing this podcast you know where the, the most divergence occurs is is when, you know, we, we all agree on what we want. We we most of the times when we diverge politically is because we can't agree how we should pay for it or who should pay for it. Um, you know, and that that yes, tends to be where, where where most where most political tension comes. And I, as I say, you know, for me, the 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 big positive is the fact that 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 raising NI threshold, you know, means anybody earning less than thirty six thousand pounds a year will be buffered from the national insurance rise. And you can argue that, you know, well, you know, if they weren't putting the NI rise in in the first place, but, you know, again, as you and I have touched on in the past, that there was so much noise during the pandemic and even pre-pandemic about the NHS and, you know, how if there was a hypothecated tax that went direct to the NHS, that people would be happy to pay it. And I look at, you know, for the national insurance piece, by applying it to that, It also applies to, you know, it will apply next year to people who have decent pensions. There's an element of the employer contributes to that as well. You know, for me, that is the the tax that people have been asking for, um, for the NHS. But there's an element of when it comes to being time to pay for it, there seems to be a sort of reticence to say, well, yeah, I know I said I wanted to pay the extra tax for the NHS, but I don't really want to pay it now.
0: But I think I get the point you're trying to make. But I think the comparison there was in uh, with Lib Dem policy for the last several general elections, which was to put a penny on um, on income tax, not on national insurance, on income tax because income tax is a much more um, regressive, sorry, much more progressive uh, tax than national insurance is. However, the the Chancellor by moving the threshold of um, of um, of, of national insurance contributions to match those of um, of the income tax, which by the way was a Lib Dem policy, of course, during the coalition, and I, I know that oh, you were. Oh God, teasing. yeah,
1: it was, wasn't it? Yeah, sorry, yes. uh, <laughs> You're my mistake. Um,
0: but um, so you know that, yeah, I I agree that's a, that's a good move, um, and and I like that. And there are some things that are good news, you know, things like the the five hundred million pound for the household support fund. Um, yep. Which is spread to councils um, uh, across the country to uh, basically, you know, help people um, with deal with the kind of essentials over the winter. If you think of the the you know the one of the things covered that, that we mentioned in last week's was the fifteen million of the sixty-seven million that was available um, mm. in our in our region that's um, um, that's going to Portsmouth City Council that effectively will fund um uh, the the basically the council doing work to um up to 20,000 pounds per property um to basically insulate them or to uh, basically help them reduce their energy bills with um you know with you know with other, you know with the green developments etc so, so there there are are things there
1: yep i think that one's a particularly fabulous development and uh, i have my survey booked in for next friday <laughs>
0: 30s built, needs work done. Um, so hang on a minute. Normally, normally you're not in favour of the state paying for things that you could pay for yourself. Yeah, time's and you think hard. that people should control their money better. Time's so, you're quite, Wait, you're, so you're now, oh, so hang on, this is you being now. in favour of socialism now.
1: No, no, work for a charity now, different times. Right, <laughs> so um,
0: looking okay. ahead,
1: next week, it's the start of the hustings. Cosham, our, so... our very home our hometown
0: yes so next week we have our very first hustings of the 2022 elections um so we've got um so in Cosham we've got um hannah hockaday for the conservatives ashkar shah for labor we've got helena cole for the liberal democrats and mike jerome from portsmouth independence um so join us at 6:27 next week we'll have an extended show as we do the hustings Um, our first testing show. If you've got questions that you'd like to see us actually put to those candidates, please do either submit them to us on our Facebook um, or email them to us at pompeypoliticspodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'd be happy to sift our way through those uh, and put those to them. And we're trying to line up Um, Other sessions, it looks like actually the 10th, we're in the process of confirming it, but it looks like actually the next one on the 10th uh, of April um, may well actually be the Copner Hustings. Um, So we're trying to line up other ones. We've got some good interest in Easton and Craneswater. Um, But if anybody listening, um, if they're not sure if they're a candidate, has already um, said that they're happy to take part then um, please encourage them to get in contact with us um, and, or they'll be able to tell you whether they've already been in touch with us but we will do a hustings as long as we can agree dates with people we'll do a hustings in any ward in the city where we can get at least two of the candidates um, to to take part so we're spoiling you by opening with caution where we've got not one not two but th- not three but four of the candidates in the local elections which is marvellous. So you've
1: been listening to the Pompey Politics Podcast. I've been Ian Tiny-Morris.
0: And I've been Simon Sansbury. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. If you want to make sure you get notifications about upcoming shows and get to know when we're live, we normally broadcast live 6.27pm on a Sunday evening, then follow us on Facebook at Pompey Politics Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter at Pompey Politics One. Please, if you'd like to, feel free to leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts, and you can even ask Alexa to play the podcast for you. Alexa, play the latest episode of the Pompey Politics Podcast. Getting Pompey Politics Podcast from Amazon Music.
3: Alexa,
0: stop. See? It's easy.